Hi, I'm Paul Swinkler and welcome to Tech Interviews. This week, it's a wrap as we take a look back at Vimon 2018. So settle back, enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to Tech Interviews. Uh, this week, I'm going to be taking a look at what was one of my uh, favourite events of uh, last year's tech calendar, which was the Vmon event. Uh, due to some logistical things this year, I, I couldn't get out to Chicago for this year's event, but I did want to kind of get a catch up on some of the key messages that were covered. I, I kept up with it remotely, um, but I thought it'd be nice to talk to somebody who was there um, and somebody I don't seem to be able to keep off this show. Uh, I, I think he's genuinely on it more than I am now. Um, so, uh, so to help me uh, pick through what was uh, what was Vmon twenty. I'm joined by a constant visitor, Michael Cade. Hi, Michael. Hello, Paul. Um, yeah, nice to be back here again. Um, the invoice is in the post. Yeah, it's, it must be must be three episodes since you was last on, uh, so I'm starting to miss you. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's uh, basically the same joke that I use every time about being, being the co-host of uh, Tech Stringy Podcasts. Yes, I, I think I need to find myself some new guests. Um, but, but hey, you, you normally do a good job, so um, I'm always happy to have you back on. Um, so for, for people who've maybe not heard the show before or not heard you, before we start talking about um, the Vmon event, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, tell people a little bit about what it is you do? So, yeah, I'm a, so I'm Michael Cade, and I'm a global technologist at Beam Software. I work in the product strategy team, and what that really means is that I get to hear about the, the future of what we're doing, but the most important thing for me is that I get to speak to our customers, our partners, and be able to understand what is actually happening in the field, either using our software or within that whole data center, public cloud, managed service cloud type offering, and then get to feed that back up into our product management so that hopefully that will shape the future of, of what Veeam brings out um, from a product perspective. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, really struck me with the event I went to last year was that, um, and certainly from looking kind of from a distance this year, is, is how well attended it was, you know, and that I think if you look at what's going on in the availability space um, as a whole, it's a really interesting market at the moment. You know, I think there's lots of really interesting innovation. Uh, there's, there's you know, some great work the likes of Veeam are doing, but, you know, there's new new competitors popping up with new ideas as well. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting listening to uh, the way Veeam positioned uh, what they were doing as a company last year. Uh, and obviously that's kind of, um, you know, moved forward and, and changed a little bit into to where they see themselves going in this year onwards as well and um, but before we get into this year's show maybe it might be useful just for a bit of a, a retrospective look at kind of um some of the things that we talked about last year and, and what's happened in the kind of the last 12 months leading up to uh, veeam on 2018 so it's so kind of what's what's the last 12 months in the life of veeam look like yeah, yeah um so uh, just on that number so we had over 2300 people attending what ultimately is a backup conference, which when you think about that, that's kind of a it's a really good number from our, our point of view. People interested in not only what Veeam are doing, but also around the whole ecosystem. We have a really strong ecosystem partner, um, partner led um, group, and they're all there on the show floor and, and having that conversation and, and talking about the integrations or how they're working with Veeam. So, yeah, it's that it's still like you stand back and when you think about that it's kind of a, a kind of a really good number to 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 listen to um so yeah last 12 months so year years gone and um 
when we were in NOLA last year, it was very much around these new features. I managed to get on main stage and demo some of this new stuff that's still coming. Um, I think what happened after that was around actually our team was formed and we started talking to our customers and understanding a bit more of the the shape of how people are starting to adopt and move to that public cloud. So we needed to start thinking and transitioning our development towards that angle. So um, a lot of those those announcements, they came before Christmas. But I think if we look, if I look back at 2017 and, and the start of this year, it was really about broadening that that portfolio, this platform that we that we've discussed and, and that we've um, announced as part of the uh, the whole of last year. And I think um, so things like the agents, bringing them into being centrally managed for both Windows and, and Linux. Also, Office 365, being able to protect those those Office 365 mail. And then we've got some more updates coming out that's coming soon within within this year. But also things like Theme Availability Orchestrator, uh, AHV support, they're just AIX and Unix. So you can see how we're just broadening that portfolio away from that traditional, you think Veeam, you think virtualization backup, VMware Hyper-V, that's where we play. And I think it was very important for us to now like grow that, that platform, that portfolio to be able to offer the, for additional protection availability within the data center. Um, another one at the beginning of this year was around N2W software, so the acquisition of those guys. Number one market, uh, AWS marketplace backup provider, and basically what they they allow us to do is an agentless backup of AWS instances, not just EC2 where you've got the full-blown operating system plus workload, but also things like RDS and platform as a service around that. So, yeah, it was a really big year of, of announcing new product and new features, but also add into that, that, that platform. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think there's a couple of things in there that um, really struck me. And actually, that, that piece you started off with right at the start about the amount of people who attended uh, both last year's and this year's VMON conference, you know, for like you said, for for essentially something that's there to talk about backup and data protection and availability. And I think, I, you know, that says a lot. And, and one of the things that, um, with, without stealing too much of your thunder about things that were talked about, but one of the things that really struck me with listening to the keynotes, um, even remotely this year, was um, Veeam talked about uh, this net promoter score, um, and this is kind of the uh, kind of like a measure of how uh, their customers see uh, the, the solutions that they present. Um, and Veeam have a score, I think, higher than Apple was the kind of the number 73. Um, admittedly, 73 could just be a random number, but it was more, one more random uh, one more random score than than Apple got. Um, but one of the things that struck me with that is that actually that. You know, that if you look at the attendance and you look at the way that um, Veeam software are looked at, is that people? I don't think people can underestimate the importance of having something that their customers like to use and that kind of just goes in and works. And I, and I thought that was quite an in- interesting message. So, you know, so so I'm, I, I think when you tie that in with the amount of people who were there um, enthusiastically listening to Veeam's message, I think that quite says quite a lot about Veeam as a company and, and the kind of stuff that you do. Um, and I think the other thing in there is, is this idea, and, and it certainly came through in uh, certainly the keynote sessions that I saw and, and some of the conversations we've had previously, was this idea of, of building a platform, building this kind of availability platform um, on which an enterprise can start to build its kind of um, – 
I, I don't know, data, data availability model, you know, but just be, you know, going much beyond just backing stuff up. So, so do you, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of some of that stuff that was was kind of built upon um, at, the, at the conference this year? Yeah, so just on that, the NPS, so the net promoter score being 73, that's exactly the same number that we had the previous year. So although if you look at our numbers around, we've just gone over that 300,000 customer mark, um, more partners, more service providers, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's the telling point is that even though we're growing, we're not losing that, that the ability to serve our, our community, our, our customers and, and, and prospects from that. So I think that's, uh, that's why we're, that's why the guys on stage are really proud of, of what we were, um, of, of, of that NPS score. But yeah, I guess the, so the premise of the whole, week was around launching a new um, vision or new messaging from this. So, again, we have to transition. We have to show what we're doing moving forward in terms of our vision and how we're going to not just be that virtualization, that point of, of contact for backup within VMware and Hyper-V. So I, I think the, the key message was our vision and that is ultimately to be the most trusted provider of intelligent data management solutions so what that means is by meeting the expectations of a world that demands the availability of of that data so we all know the story around growth of data spiraling out of control we know about the sprawl of data being in these multifaceted clouds, whether it's on-premises, public cloud, managed service, SaaS, etc., we all know about that. Those and how critical that data is. And I think what we want to be is that framework, that platform to be able to protect that those workloads, that data um, within that within that. And and really, the the key part of that is is around. Um, so the key point is that intelligent data management is not just about the backup of virtual workloads or backup of physical workloads. It's a whole heap of stages, a five stage type type setting to get to that that point of intelligent data management. And I think that, um, that intelligent data management, actually, and, and we'll come back to that because that was one of the things that really struck me during one of the keynotes was that that is um, an interesting shift in the way that organisations can look at protecting their data. Um, but but let, let's if we come back to that, because you, you just mentioned there this kind of uh, five stages of, um, and, and I think when I looked at this, actually, what it really struck me was the idea of almost measuring a, a maturity in the way that you look after your data. So do you want to share kind of what those, what those five stages are and, and what they mean? Yeah, so I guess for, so from a stage one point of view, if we if you think about building this up in your in your podcast while you're listening to the podcast, is that stage one, that first step, is is around backup. So everything that we've traditionally said about backing up physical boxes, backing up virtual machines, backing up cloud instances, and really having the control that we have today about basically protect, protecting against or making sure that we're recover, recoverable against events of outages, attack or ransomware, etc. All of those that what we've been doing for a long time. And, and what what I want to say about this these stages, it's not a it's not a stepping stone to get. You don't have to go through all the, the stages to necessarily get to this stage five. But it's so stage one is probably where 
the majority of our customers or the majority of the world from an IT perspective are sat in around protecting that data, just being able to recover from it. So then we go to stage two, and that's around aggregation. So a lot of companies are now moving from not or not moving away from on-premises, but they're aggregating out into a multi-cloud. So they're, they're starting to leverage the likes of Microsoft Azure or AWS or Google or any of those those public clouds, or they're potentially using a managed service provider to send their backup as a service or DR as a service type offerings. So what we, so that second phase is, that second stage is around aggregation. So being able to manage that using the same set of tools that we have for our on-premises workloads to our cloud instances, to our physical, to our managed service, to our SaaS, Basically, being able to hold that into one one console and manage that through one one um, interface. Then stage three, and again, this could be you could be a stage one and a stage three because stage three is visibility. So having visibility into your your workloads, so understanding where that data resides, whether it's in the public cloud today, on premises tomorrow, and being able to really control that usage or that or any performance burst that need to happen, but also the operations around that. So giving you more control, visibility and control into your into your workloads, into your data. And then we move on to stage four. And and all so while while we're saying about stage one is very policy based, we're going to set our, our backups, we set it to run on a nightly nightly basis or maybe an hourly or maybe even minutes in today's world with our hardware that we have. And also that aggregation, we're going to do the same. It's still going to be policy-based from a from a multi-cloud point of view using that one interface. But as we get into that visibility and control, then we start to get more behavior-based led. So, okay, so now we've got the visibility. What can we do with that data? Are we best off to have it in cloud A or cloud B or bring it back on premises? And, and then that brings us into stage four, which is orchestration. So how do we orchestrate that movement of data to better suit the business needs? So whether that be because cloud A is too expensive this month, so we need to move it to cloud B or on back on premises, or do we need to do X, Y, or Z? Uh, and I think that's the, that's the orchestration layer. And then to get fully behavior based is how do we automate that? So we know from our visibility and control stage that the the data is costing far too much money in cloud A and we need to move it to cloud B. Now in stage four, okay, the orchestration tools could be there to, to move that and it's a manual effort. How about if we were able to actually automate that so that if it became, if, if, if we flagged up a warning and we knew that the cost was spiraling out of control. Just let's automate it. Let's automatically move that based on based on behaviour. Let's move it from cloud A to cloud B. And I think from a vision point of view, that really sits quite well. It's really resonated really well last week with some top customers that I spoke to, but also prospects that are looking at how do they manage their data from a protection point of view but also being able to move that from, from that A to B to C. And, and I think that was one of the um, one of the things that really stuck with me, one of the messages last week was this kind of in, intelligence, because 
I think what we see in lots of enterprises is that one of the biggest issues that they come across, and whether it's availability, whether it's uh, security, whether it's data management, is the challenge that there's so much of it and the IT resource is so stretched that often you can give them all of the tools in the world. You know, you can give them maybe all of the uh, orchestration tools in the world, but while people are while you're relying on people to make those decisions, they often just don't have that kind of human resource to be able to sit there, look at the information they're being given and then act upon that information. Um, and, and that sounds like what Veeam are trying to address here by learning about what is important to an organization when it comes to their data asset and, and the availability of that data um, and making some intelligent um, data protection um, data protection decisions or some maybe some intelligent data placement decisions based on on what it's learned. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Is, is, that, is that where Veeam are trying to get to? Yeah, that's pretty spot on, mate. Um, so I think the uh, I think the, the the point is is that obviously from a te- living in the technical world that we live in, this this bubble where we see the automation, this orchestration. If we step outside and we look at everyday life and car manufacturers and everything around that, a lot of those companies are really looking towards automation, orchestration type events to make their life easier or faster and I think from an IT perspective we're looking after all of this data and if we continue going the way we are then obviously nothing's going to change and the the innovation from a technology world doesn't change but I think what we we also have to evolve like the manufacturers do we have to evolve and we have to bring automation orchestration into our world to be able to do things faster and more slicker, to be able to save time, to be able to re- reduce costs, mitigate risks, the, all the, the, the key buzzwords that you'd expect to hear. But but really, we have to eat our own dog food or drink our own champagne from that point of view within our own industry. We're the ones allowing the manufacturers to be able to go out there and buy robots that can build their part of their cars before it goes to a human to quality control that. And I think we have to be very mindful of that within our data centers to understand or, or with our data, we have to be more um, privy to kind of what the capabilities are or what the growth rate is going to do. If we continue down this path, what's going to happen? Is it just going to cost us a shed load of money or is it going to really cause any other issues? So we have to start thinking about how we can be more intelligent with that data. And I think that's the that's the absolute key point as to where our vision is, is taking us. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on things there that I, I think from a technical point of view, often we, you know, we, we don't like to think about particularly. Uh, but I think from a, a business technical point of view, really important things like cost and the best place to place information at, at any given time. Um, and I, I know when we're talking about this, though, that at, at the moment, are we still, is Veeam's vision around this still to be doing this with kind of that protected data? Or is there some thoughts around maybe being able to do this with kind of that that kind of key primary production stuff as well, you know, giving giving your customers the ability to maybe make better decisions on where they place their production data. Yeah, absolutely. So already today we have within Veeam 1, we've got the ability to show like a, a modeling exercise against are we if we go into inherit a company, i.e. Um, as, as an IT organization, um, 
we're going to inherit a new exchange farm or a citrix farm. We can model that within the resources that we have and say, yes, that's big enough for this workload and that'll be, that'll be fine. We can also do some capacity planning around if we want to move certain workloads, this is production workloads into a cloud, a Microsoft Azure or an AWS. And that's already there today. So yes, absolutely. That visibility um, plane is very much around giving visibility into both your backup or your availability infrastructure as well as your wh wherever that data resides, ultimately giving you insight into into all levels of that. Where, where we go in terms of do we start driving the data from a production point of view to a secondary, like, a, a, I, I, I don't, I'm not high enough in the food chain to understand that yet, but, but, it's got to be the way that the world is going to go is going to be around this this orchestration, this automation of of whether that's whether that's just backups, whether that's replication, whether that's production data. We've got to start thinking of better ways of moving that around. So I think that's that's our vision, and that's where we're we're going. Yeah, and I, I, I completely agree. I think the idea that you know, you know we we need to be able to kind of build these data platforms that you know a, a kind of a modern data platform approach includes the ability to have some uh, level of flexibility with that you know your production and uh, and any data not just your production data but also those kind of uh, archives and and availability data sets that we have uh, being able to place them in the right place at the right time uh, is 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 going to be important both technically and commercially um and, and just to wrap up on something actually and, and something that um it was something i saw last year uh, and I think it's been developed a little bit since. Um, with some of this ability that you've uh, you, you can have with Veeam now and some of their partners around providing some insight and capability into that backup data set. So I think there's some work you've been doing with um, High Trust uh, around that. Is is that something you can share a little bit on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another so another area around I keep on banging on about this platform. So the Veeam availability platform. I guess just the kind of paint a picture again around this is that the cornerstones of that for us is around backup and recovery and replication and failover. So if you imagine them two boxes being front and center of everything that we're doing, but then surrounding that underneath, you've got universal APIs, which is our storage integrations and something that I can touch on with, with what we're doing with high trust, but then also data labs. So the ability to actually use that data. So whether that be, from a backup, from a replica, from a storage snapshot, being able to do more with that data. So getting more return on investment, but also getting more leverage out of that rather than it just sitting there until you have to restore. So yeah, just to go back into that universal API, so how we're, how we're partnering with High Trust, they have the ability within their cloud advisor to go inside of our backup file and be able to understand file types, folders, etc. within that within that backup file. Now they're not going to remove it because it's immutable. We don't want to we don't want to give access to all that shouldn't ever be uh, able the there should never be that ability to do that. But what it does mean, especially in the light of, of GDPR or other regulations that aren't going away and we need to adhere to them, is having more visibility into that data set. So being able to go in there and telling people that 
oh, you have personal identify, identifiable information within that backup data or credit card information or any other, and they have hundreds of these profiles already set up, so it's not like you have to go and find the algorithm for a credit card to find it within the within a database or or or, or within a file system, and that will give you that insight into that. So when you come to restore that file, you know that you potentially have to remove that before it lands on lands back into production, which is kind of a powerful thing, is that. From a, from a backup vendor point of view, we've never had the ability to go really inside that, that, um, that backup set and be able to report against that and understand what is, what is happening. Yeah, so, so that sounds like it's, it's developed, you know, it, it's a really interesting development. And I think that ability to see inside your backup sets, uh, particularly from a compliance point of view, uh, is, is extremely powerful. Uh, before we wrap up, just one other thing, uh, and I've actually forgot about mentioning this, but you, you just mentioned it kind of in the, the build up to what we were talking about there. Uh, it's actually this development of uh, data labs. Um, do, do you want to, just for people who maybe use Veeam or have never, or whether they use Veeam or not, I suppose, but um, what, what data labs is and what it allows you to do? Because, again, I think that's, that's actually quite a powerful capability and maybe something that people don't consider enough when they when they build their kind of data data platform and data availability platforms. Yeah, absolutely. So from a data lab's point of view, it consists of a, an isolated network within your vSphere or Hyper-V environment. It can be a, a normal standard vSwitch or it can be a distributed switch across a, a whole cluster it can be and then it also consists of something called an application group so for example if you think you've got a test environment or you've got an environment that your developer team wants to work on and that involves a SQL database it involves all of its dependencies around active directory dns dhcp and there may be a web front end so that would then consist of our application group that application group can, can can come from either a storage snapshot where we integrate with, it can come from a backup, or it can come from a replica within VMware. What that allows us to do, if you couple those together into something called a sure backup job, that allows us to spin that up in an isolated network, that whole application group into this into this isolated network, which is called a data lab and then allows for your development team to, to then run against that. Now, that's obviously dependent on the performance of the backup storage or the replication storage, but from a storage snapshot point of view, especially with the storage vendors that we integrate with, the we leverage the, the cloning technology, so let's use NetApp as we're, as we're both NetApp fanboys, Stringy. Um, so... If you think about FlexClone as a license, so that's their cloning technology to be able to take a storage-efficient clone of the NetApp volume. And from that, then we, they'll present that. We'll automate the pre presentation of that volume out into VMware, and we will have the ability to, to spin up that application group on this storage-efficient, performant FlexClone. Uh, but also with that, it's fully automated as well. So we'll we'll take the application consistent snapshot. We'll be able to present that in. We'll be able to add all of the virtual machines within that volume within that application group. And then that dev guy can come in. He can run tests against that. He can do all of his stuff, and then we can throw it away. 
And the benefits of that is that we're not taking up a heap of storage. Only the changes that he puts onto it are, are only going to be, you're only going to have to find storage for that. So if he's only going to be running schema updates or, or code changes, then it's going to be very minimal because of the nature of what the flex code looks like. Um, but also he's going to benefit from the performance. So that SQL database that sits on the NetApp storage that's has X amount of, of performance, he's going to benefit from that as well. And that's, I think that's the key point. The other thing to mention is that they can mix. So if you've got maybe your Active Directory or your DNS from that, that application group, that doesn't really need storage snapshot performance or storage performance. So let's run it from the backup and we can mix that in with the storage snapshots and, and so forth. So you can kind of really fine tune where, where that, where that leverage of data comes from. And I think that is, that's kind of probably one of the most exciting things that we have. And we've had this for years and I think it's only come into fruition now that people understand that we've got it. Let's talk about it. How do we do more with our data um, from, a, from a backup perspective or from a replica perspective? And I think, yeah, it's, it's a really, really important thing for us. Yeah, and that's kind of why I wanted to dig into it, actually, because I think it's um, it's one of those things that people often don't think about. You know, I mean, you talked a lot there about uh, the ability to use that in terms of development. But, you know, for me as well, that idea of being able to test my entire availability plan and policy and procedure is one of those things I think that we've probably both seen that, that often enterprises, you know, and quite big enterprises find quite difficult to test. Um, and I know Veeam have other tools available to, to kind of help orchestrate that as well. But that kind of data labs capability and, and even that idea of um, being able to build an application group where you can recover an entire set of applications and all of its supporting services um, is something that traditionally has been really difficult to do. And I think being able to do that and make that easy, again, feeds feeds nicely into that idea of allowing enterprises to build a better availability platform. Um, so, well, I mean, I mean, just to wrap up, um, I, I, it, it, what are things um, as we come off the back of Veeam on uh, 2018? I mean, what are some of the uh, next things people should be looking out from Veeam? You know, what, what are the first uh, first things that, that that you might be able to expect to see that will help you to build this kind of um, this platform and start to develop these, these kind of five steps to a, a more mature availability model? So if I, if I list three things out, so the first one will be platform support for vSphere 6.7, also the, the latest Windows Server edition. So that will be update 3A, which we'll see in the next couple of months. We'll also have a GA version of the Nutanix HV. So anyone that's looking to move or, or is currently buying a HDI Play, then we'll have the ability to agentlessly back up those those workloads as well as office 365 so the office 365 version 2 so we can do mail today the sharepoint and the onedrive that's currently in beta at the moment but again in the, in the next short short time we'll see that become ga as well all all in the next couple of months so um so yeah, so some things to look forward to in the in a relatively near future as well. There, um, so I mean, if people want to find out um, a little bit more about um, about some of the announcements and some of the conversation that came out of Vmon, is there a place they can do and go and do that? And of course, if they want to stalk you on the internet, um, how can they do that? 
<laughs> so all of the general sessions from Veeam on were recorded and they should be on the Veeam YouTube channel. I haven't checked what the, the closing sessions on there, but it should be. Uh, in terms of content, we could, you could look out for our Veeam vanguards of one is sat in, sat right next to me, virtually sat next to me. Um, the Vanguard, there's a Twitter list out there. I just have a, have a good search for that. I'm sure, I'm sure Stringy can put that in the show notes as well. These guys are the advocates for us. They, they're not employed by us, but they just find our tech or find our messaging cool. And they're pretty honest people as well. So they'll tell us when it's not, not the right fit. They're really good to gauge, gauge interest, gauge, gauge their thoughts and, and process on that. So, There'd be another one, and then you can find me on the Twitters at MichaelCade1. Um, I'm on there most most of the time, um, as well as vzilla.co.uk is where I'm trying to up the up the tempo of, of more and more content. Yeah, you are on the Twitters slightly less than you on this podcast, but only slightly. Only slightly. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's a that's a great roundup. Um, I, th- I think of actually some of the things that have gone on since uh, since Vimon last year, um, and some of the, the strategic messaging and some of the things that uh, that came out of this year's show. So, uh, Michael, as always, uh, thanks very much for your time. Much appreciated, and um, look forward to no doubt having you back on again in the not too distant future. Cheers, mate. I'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous tech interviews episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>